This is Mom Squad Pod, your weekly update on tips, tricks, and all things parenting with Maureen Kyle. Hi, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us on the Mom Squad Pod, the podcast where we talk everything parenting. And today's topic is one that probably pops up in all of your conversations with friends. We're talking about effective discipline. And when it comes to parenting and kids, I feel like every conversation I've had with all of my friends, we've sat down and one of us has brought up, oh my goodness, I just, I lost it. I yelled at my kid today. I don't wanna be a yeller, but I don't know what else to do. And there's other ways that we've tried discipline. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. So we wanna know how, Do we effectively get through to our kids and giving them those boundaries? So I'm bringing in my go-to girl, Dr. Kim Bell, clinical psychologist with the Hannah Perkins Center to talk about this. And Kim, thanks so much for joining us again on the podcast. Good morning. Always look forward to it. And, you know, this is one of those things. I, I always want to have an effective method of disciplining one of the kids, I don't want to butt heads. I do want them to understand what I what I expect in terms of their behavior. Is there one question or something that parents always ask you when it comes to discipline and and what they should do with their kids? Probably the most frequent question is why isn't anything I'm doing working? I mean really that's the thing. There are I think there are so many books on this supposed magic way of disciplining your kids and, and getting control and compliance and one, two, three magic and you know all of these, these things that are supposed to be easy and then you get it and it doesn't work for your child. And I think it's because a lot of these um, one-stop shop places don't really take into account the differences in temperament and the different ways that children react and the temperament of the parent. You know, There's so much that goes into that relationship. So we kind of have to sit down and and piece it out a little bit. So there are general guidelines, um, but I hesitate to give like specific, you know, do this, don't do this because what works for one child doesn't work for another. So I think it's good for us to talk about sort of different ways of approaching it and then different things that kids might respond to. What, what do you think in approaches, does it depend on age? Because I mean, I, I'm thinking what works for my almost three-year-old is not gonna work for a teenager or am I wrong? No, nope, you're correct. Because here's one of the things that we tend to do when we are frustrated, right? Anytime we get angry with our kids or frustrated with our kids, if we really stop and think about it, right? And you know me, I always want us to be looking inside, right? Look inside ourselves. Is that we have feel like, we feel like we have failed somehow and we are responsible for our child's behavior, especially if they do something quote bad outside of our house and other kids are involved and and that stirs up our own feelings and it stirs up our own anger and I think we often with very young kids there are times where we think you know oh well we're talking in the front seat of the car they don't hear us and we underestimate them but when we're talking about their negative behaviors we tend to overestimate their intent my toddler did that just to piss me off. My, you know, my, my three-year-old did that just to make me mad. And that is a massive overgeneralization. And I think if you come at a, a, a toddler or a young person punishing something because you think that they know what they did was wrong, you're going, you're going down the wrong street. So negative behaviors in the very young are teachable moments. We don't bite in this house. Sounds like a strange thing to have to say, 
but sometimes you have to say it. <laughs> and, you know, we don't bite in this house. And so you can't play with that child is not a punishment. It is a naturally occurring consequence that teaches cause and effect. If you are negative to someone, I hesitate to use the word bad, by the way, you'll see me dance all around that word because I don't like it. So if we engage in a behavior that upsets another child, the natural consequences is we can't hang out with that person. And, and that's very different than a teenager who knows. Mm -hmm. um, let's, let's go along that line of, of uh, thought when it comes to discipline too, because should there be a consequence that fits the behavior. Like you said, you know, if, if it's physical harm to another child, you don't get to play with that child. I, do, does that get through to a child of the younger ages a little bit more? I mean, if it's throwing a toy, do we take away the toy? I mean, does that put it in um, a frame of mind for them? They understand? Yeah, I mean, it can. It, it's, it's all about repetition, right? It's all about repetition. And if something doesn't work the very first time you use it, or you feel like, oh, that escalated in a way I didn't like, it's because it's a brand new behavior. Oftentimes, it's a new behavior for you. It's a new behavior for them. It's a new interaction. And the child is, is not going to automatically kind of snap and, and respond. So, you know, it can take some repetition. But I am I'm a huge fan of thinking about it as restitution. What can we learn to do? We don't want kids to be a child who just breaks things. We want a kid. We want a kid who can break things and fix things, because that's how human beings are. We all do things that we regret, and then we try to fix them. And that can be anything. I mean, I've had I've had very young children, five years old, help me spackle a wall, um, hand over hand, but they still can do their part, right? They can do if they break a child's toy and it needs to be replaced. They can do little chores around the house, you know, at four or five years old to quote, earn the money to replace that toy. So mm -hmm. they are in any way they are able to at varying ages, they take part in the restitution of that mistake. Little mistakes, medium mistakes, big mistakes. Mm -hmm. Make sure I, the difference. I, I feel like I will, I'm not uncommon in this situation. Um, siblings fighting over a toy, over a, she's sitting too close to me or repeat, if she's repeating everything I say is what I'm getting, you know, all the time. And then for me, and I don't think I'm alone here, my immediate thought is, okay, you're in timeout and go sit over there. You're in timeout. I mean, that, that seems to be my go-to uh, punishment for fighting or running around the house or whatever it is, you know? So is timeout an effective method of discipline? Because I've heard schools of thought saying, no, timeout doesn't work. And then I've heard, yeah, put them in timeout. Mm -hmm. So there are degrees of timeout, right? Let's think about the degrees of timeout. It, it's uh, sending a very small child, three, five, to their bedroom for a timeout. When a child is already very worked up, especially if they're in a tantrum, because that disconnection from their resources, remember our last podcast and who are, who are they borrowing emotional resources from to calm down their parent. When we put them in a timeout in their room and shut the door, we've isolated them alone without resources to borrow. But go sit on the couch over there where they are still an eye shot or ear shot or emotional shot, if you will, from the parent is a much more easier timeout. 
right? And then we think about we think about what it, it's to me. It's not about the behavior that you engage in for discipline. In most cases, it's about the intent behind it. You have to make sure. This is an arbitrary way of, of separating things, but this is how I do it in my head. There is punishment and there is discipline for me. Punishment has a bit of a more negative connotation to it. And so it's those times where you have made me angry and I'm going to react to that, right? I'm angry. Now I'm going to punish you. Like there's this anger behind it. Discipline is a teachable moment. You have engaged in something as your parent, I have to show you the limits of your, of what's acceptable social behavior, but there isn't as much anger behind it. So when you say, go sit and time out and get out of my face, that's not going to deescalate things. But when you say to a child, we need to take a break and calm down, go sit in your timeout chair or your timeout, you know, they make those little benches. I think those benches are cute. And I have had kids where it's used effectively, where it's used as a way to calm down. You know, I've had stories of kids where, um, like the mother says, if you stick your tongue out one more time, you're going to have to go to time out. And the child pauses, thinks about it, sticks their tongue out, and then goes, puts themselves in time out, right? That is a discipline system that's working. In that moment, you know, you're caught between being super angry and laughing because the child has made this very conscious decision that that the punishment was worth the, the you know the, the satisfaction of the crime right um, but those are just normal parenting moments and and so it's the intent behind it and uh, if I've had children who have you know been playing out in the yard and ruined their neighbor's flowers well then they do a little work around the house you go buy new flowers and they get out there and they help plant replant it takes way more time to discipline than it does to punish it's so much faster to hit. It's so much faster to shun a child off to their room. It takes a lot more time on the part of the parent to really teach discipline, to, to teach restitution. Let's delve into that a little bit more, just because I think that, that you made the clear line between isolation and um, sitting still around with a parental support and, and just calming down. Uh, what is that isolation? I mean, I, I'm just thinking like when I'm, when I'm disciplining, you know, let's say it happens around dinner time and I say, you go sit over there, but I'm busy making dinner or I'm taking care of other kids. And I walk out of the room psychologically, what, what do they need in that moment when they, when they are in timeout, they know that they've done something wrong or have made a parent or a sibling upset. What is it that they need that, um, the isolation doesn't work, but seeing a mo- you know a parental a parent being around helps. It, it it really just makes it less scary when you are alone with your rageful feelings. It can be very it feels out of control, and it can be very. If you've ever put a kid in timeout and they've destroyed their room, that's what I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. Or when they throw them, when a toddler throws a real tantrum and throws themselves on the ground and is kicking and screaming, that is their body's way of saying that the feeling has gotten too big. And often they need a little physical support, you know, whether that's a holding or, you know, um, or, you know, a hug, usually it's holding or calm words. Um, one of my favorite phrases, we use this at Hannah Perkins all the time, when we, when we can't get to a child physically because we're busy with something else, but they need our emotional support. 
uh, and it is, okay, there is a little bit of magic in the world because I think this one is a little bit magic, um, is to say, I am keeping you in mind from over here. Yeah. You have not lost your emotional connection to me because we are not physically together. And you can holler that from the kitchen. I'm keeping you in mind. I know you're out there. As soon as you calm down, we can talk about it. You know, mm -hmm. you're still making that verbal connection. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea of keeping each other in mind is that emotional connection that we want to keep even when we're really, really mad. Yeah. One of your colleagues um, actually was talking to me about this topic specifically, the timeout. And what you just mentioned, um, after they calmed down, talking them through it. And he he made the parallel between timeouts and sports. You know, a timeout in sports right. is when a coach coaches you through that moment and saying, okay, here's what we've got to do. Um, is that a moment? Is, what do you say to a child afterwards? And how important is that coaching after the, the discipline happens? It's, it's really important and it's really important that it occur as quickly as possible once things calm down, right? Because kids tend to want to forget things very quickly. Uh, but yes, I, I think he did a great job in that metaphor of sort of getting in the huddle, right? Getting in the huddle and sort of reorganizing the game plan. Uh, so the timeout really gives everybody a chance to calm down and then you come back together and really talk about what happened, right? I mean, so let's let's use your example of the siblings, right? The siblings are just, you're touching me, you're touching me, stop touching me, that's fine, yeah. whatever. And you go to your separate corners, right? I always picture it more. I, I like his sports metaphor. I think of boxing. You know, everybody goes to their, like the bell rings, let's go to your corner, what happens there? Everybody's kind of checked out, everybody kind of calms down. And then when you come back together though, there's really, it's conflict resolution, right? And sometimes, um, God, you know, it really has to be your own language and it has to be in the moment. Uh, I, I was once working in a room of, um, I was doing some work overseas at a kindergarten and I had like 24 year olds in a room and there was this not enough chairs scenario. And, and, and there was all of a sudden crying. Everybody was just crying. And everybody took a time out and sat quietly. And then we came back together and said, well, what is the, and it was everybody wanted to use the same crayon. And it was like, okay, now to us, that seems so like an easy thing to fix, right? Like not everybody needs the brown crayon right this minute, but for them, it was beyond their resources. And one of the things that, that, I, that I say in those kinds of instances is, okay, are, were you friends yesterday? Yes. Do you wanna be friends tomorrow? Yes. Then what we need to do right now is solve this problem together. How can we share this crayon? That's coaching. It's, it's really just coaching. And so you have to look at, you have to look at your own situation. You know your kids, right? Um, how, how can we split up the use of this toy? Did you really want it or were you just mad at your sister? You know, what, whatever problem solving you can go through to help them both express their feelings and come to a solution. I'm also, I don't know a book I read it in, but it's one of my favorites. I'm a huge fan of the Saturday Box. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Saturday No, I've never heard of Saturday Box. <laughs> I love the Saturday Box. Okay, so the idea being, yeah, parents use this for lots of different things, but let's say there's an argument over that toy and you're looking for kind of a consequence. If it's one of those favored kind of toys, it's like, look, if you guys can't share, it goes in the Saturday box. And whatever day of the week it is, that toy stays in the box till Saturday. Oh, I love this. Here's <laughs> one of my favorite ones that I, I don't even know where I read it. Sorry to yeah. whoever wrote it and I can't give them credit. Um, 
but it's a, yeah, it's a Saturday box. And you can do that when kids are, when you're trying to get kids to clean up, yeah. right? And they just refuse to clean up the mess that they made. It's like, okay, well, anything you don't want to clean up goes in the Saturday box. You know, it's like a choice. It's always yeah. offering a choice. You can clean up or we can put it in the Saturday box. How oh, are you I'm feeling definitely- today? Yeah. Oh, I need, I need the Saturday box. I mean, this is, that, that would be effective. I, I think it would be effective in my house. And, and I actually, this helps lead us into the next topic I was going to bring up is, um, you know, sometimes timeout, my kids don't care about timeout. I mean, they're just like, yeah, fine, whatever. Or it seems like that doesn't really fit with what the situation was. Um, and then I think, I know sometimes my husband and I are not on the same page of what that discipline should be. And there's been times where he's thrown out like, you know, stop doing that or you'll never eat hamburgers again. You know, it's like some sort of crazy, like, no, that's not going to happen. No, I mean, <laughs> no. So, and, and I've, I've heard parents, you know, my friends, sometimes they'll be like, don't do that or else we'll never buy you shoes ever again. You know, it's something that we're never going to stick to. How how important is it to pick a consequence that you do stick to? And then when do you draw the line and, and make sure you stick to that consequence? Like how far do you go with it? Well, first of all, if you, if you decide as a family that you're going to say what you mean and mean what you say, then you have to choose your words very carefully because mm-hmm. never grounded forever in those, those heated moments are not Mm -hmm. the time to discipline. They're just not when you're all wound up, it's not the time to discipline because there is no way, not only is it impossible for you to withdraw that kind of thing from your child, it's impossible for you to commit the amount of time for a child to be grounded forever. Right. And if you are a family that has a hard time with that, you know, this is, this is a little bit of the behaviorist in me. I am okay with a family deciding on things ahead of time. If you have chronic behavior issues and you want the kid to understand what our new expectations are going to be, I'm okay with making a list. Like if you don't clean up, it goes in the Saturday box. You know, Mm -hmm. if you do this, then you lose this privilege. Or if you do this, then this is the consequence so that they know ahead of time. And you have to decide that as a family. And, you know, I think sometimes parents, no, I don't know what the feeling is, but it's like, well, I'm, I'm not supposed to give my kids choices when it comes to discipline. But if you really sit down with a child and say, what do you think the consequence of that should be? You know, they, very rarely do they say, well, nothing, or I shouldn't have pizza on Friday. You know, they usually yeah. come up with some sort of restitution or some sort of consequence. Um, and if you work on it together, then there's no arguing, right? Then there is no chance to say, you're grounded for a year. You know, there is, there is a, a, an expected consequence for a particular behavior. And I, I will use that in the cases of like a certain chronic kind of misbehavior, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When it comes to teens too, I mean, I, or older kids, as kids start to age out of the, we're, we're taking your whatever and putting it in the Saturday box. I mean, I, I've heard of a lot of parents, I, I'm not in the teen years yet, but I've heard of parents who do have teenagers taking away the phone, which is a big one now, but is there a different method when it comes to the older kids who, you know, I feel like that, uh, the, the variety of, of discipline and, and punishments, as you would say, are, are just, they're shrinking at that point. 
Mm-hmm. And do you go after something like technology or is it doing something more positive? What do you think gets through to the older kids better? Uh, well, I think, you know, most kids will absolutely throw fit if you take away their phone. Um, <laughs> Which in, in is a, a sad state. You know, I think it depends, but you know, here's where we are. Here's the interesting thing about technology and I'm going to create a problem instead of uh, offer a solution right now, but it's very hard to take technology away from kids because then they can't do their homework. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very hard, especially during the school year to take technology away because they're, they're doing groups on Google chat. They're working on projects. They need, you know, the access to the internet, to the library. So then you're like, well, how do I monitor? You can have your technology, but don't do anything fun with it. You, you know, it really kind of puts you in a bind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it has to be more individualized. If, you know, if, if the offense is phone related, and by that I mean they're on their phone and therefore they're not doing X, Y, and Z that they, that they have committed to doing, um, then it makes sense, right? That the phone mm-hmm. goes away but it has to be for a specified period of time. It's I, one of the things that does not work is like, you'll get it back when I feel like you deserve it is also unfair punishment. It's unfair punishment. And it, so there needs to be, you know, discreet, like no phone for the rest of the day. Or, you know, I mean, that's kind of their Saturday box, right? Is, is their phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, I also think you have to be careful because the more you, especially teenagers, right? You send, you can't send a kid to their room so much anymore because there's a lot to do in there. And so then the next thing you know, you're like, well, we're, you know, I've had parents get as far as taking the bedroom door off. And, and if I could make a plea to the world <laughs> through this venue, please don't take the doors off your children's bedrooms, no matter what they do. Um, it, it will not get you the results that you think that you want. Um, but that's the level at which my kid doesn't care about any, anything I take away. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid that that usually, the bad news is that usually comes from a stream, a history of just taking things away without these kinds of plans in place. And the child becomes numb emotionally. They just start to not attach to anything. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're in a position of my child doesn't care about anything enough for them to, to have an impact. You've used too much punishment. You know, we haven't, we haven't talked at all yet about positive reinforcement and how important that is. Studies have shown over and over and over again that reinforcement is a better way to make change than punishment is. Mm-hmm. You will always get more. And, and so, you know, if, if you think back to your own childhood, you know, there was a time when your parents' disappointment was all the punishment that you needed. And usually that's because if you feel that way, it's because you had parents who were very reinforcing. They let you know when you were doing something right. They let you know when they were proud of you. Sometimes we get too busy for that. They're busy, we're busy. We don't reinforce things enough. And so then the only discipline that we find ourselves doing is this negative stuff. And kids become immune to that and and get inoculated to it. And so with teenagers, there has to be a lot more talking. And, you know, again, you have to, if you're really having a hard time with discipline, you know, I'm coming back around to it, ask for help uh, because sometimes it's gone too far, you know. What kind of statements? I mean, is it all the little things that are, are you peppering kids with um, compliments over every time they're, they're doing something that um, is good behavior? Is it your, you know, when I have my kids, if their biggest problem is fighting with siblings, when they get along, 
I'm complementing it. Is it all the little things that add up? Or do you think that there is, um, there are major, I don't want to say milestones, but uh, events or behaviors that we should be complementing more and comparing. I, I'm always careful to like, I don't want to say, see, now that was good behavior or you know what I mean I don't want them to think like oh that was the you know what I did yesterday wasn't I don't I don't know no it's more like uh again it has to be words that flow in your family communication uh but for me it sounds a lot like god I love it when you guys get along Mm -hmm. you know it's so nice when you guys get along warms my heart or here's the little switch too because you don't want to you don't want to require external reinforcers for everything and so um, when your child does their homework, instead of saying, I'm proud of you, you can say, now, don't you feel proud of yourself? I'm proud of you. And then you just mm-hmm. switch it over time to that internal sense of it feels better. Look, here's the truth. When we do something that hurts other people, it doesn't feel good. We already feel bad. And then our parents feel bad we want to create a situation in which kids monitor their own behavior, where kids feel good for a job well done, where kids feel good about themselves when they help out around the house. And I know I'm, I'm creating a fairy tale, but we're talking about percentage of time, right? We're talking about statistics here. Like the majority of the time, kids are always going to make mistakes. They're always going to fall down. There's always going to be discipline, but we want them to feel good on the inside, you know? So I, you might say to them, God, I love it when you guys get along. Don't you feel better when you're getting along? And that way, see, when they're not getting along, you can say, instead of saying, oh, I don't know, something negative there. Instead of saying like, oh, today you're getting along, which is great when yesterday you weren't, switch it around so that you're just saying things like, oh, I love it. I love to see you two like this, whatever that might Mm -hmm. be. Then when they're not getting along, you can say, do you remember how good it felt the other day? Like throw back to the positive instead of throwing to the negative. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a bit of mental gymnastics. Yeah. Before we, uh, we wrap up here. Um, I, I always feel like I can talk to you forever about all of these things. I feel like I have to bring up, um, you know, I have three very different personalities in my house and I don't ever want to treat them differently. I don't want to treat one a certain way, but my oldest almost self punishes over the littlest things. And then my youngest looks me in the face and laughs when, (laughs) when she gets in trouble, can you treat kids differently, um, based on their personalities or does that send the wrong message when one kid gets, you know, gets treated one way and then the other kid doesn't ever go in timeout. Does that send the wrong message or is that, do you have to cater? I think, uh, you know, I, I think you have to take, you have to take uh, temperament into account. You absolutely do. And as kids get older, when they say, well, how come I had to go to timeout and, you know, he didn't, you say, well, because, because that's what works for you. It helps you to calm down to be in timeout, right? Mm-hmm. That's what works for you. And that's just not what works for him. And, you know, kids are different. And I think, you know, it's the time, have one kid, then have more than one kid and, <laughs> Nobody ever promised you that was going to be an easy thing to decide to do is to have multiple children because all of a sudden you have all of these different personalities and the one that has to be flexible in their approach and in their personality is the parent. And so, yes, it is okay for kids to have different discipline strategies. Um, 
And if you have a child who's, who, if you have one child who just never does anything wrong, right? That sort of perfect child. And then you have the mischievous one who's constantly climbing where they're not supposed to climb. Then that's a conversation, you know, that's a conversation to have. And there are things to be proud of with that child. Like, yeah, you spend a little bit more time in time out, but you have such great energy and you have, you know, always kind of pumping up the positive side because there always is a positive side. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it is, don't think that because you read a book, it's supposed to apply and it's supposed to apply equally to all of your children. There are some great, and I'm not saying there aren't great books out there. It's just that you have to find multiple ones for different temperaments. Mm -hmm. um, but those are the things that I've said are the things that I find work for the broadest of temperament. Yeah, this was so insightful. Dr. Kim Bell, thank you so much. This was really great. I mean, I, I feel like it was all tangible advice that parents can use, especially as they go throughout the day. And now that the kids are home for the summer. Yeah, and <laughs> we're, yeah bored. That's what I know, I know. That's It's idle hands. That's what happens at my house. Idle hands start to push and shove and then we get in trouble. So I really appreciate all of your advice. It was so great to see you again. Good to see you too. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. Thanks so much for listening to the Mom Squad Pod, where we discuss all things parenting. We'll see you right back here next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Mom Squad Pod with Maureen Kyle from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.